XPDET, a lifestyle magazine and podcast, bringing you the best of what Detroit has to offer. I'm your host, Lou Goldhaber, and thank you for joining us on part two of this very special three-part podcast series featuring five exceptional local Detroit changemakers. In honor of National Podcast Day, we're sitting here live in the Lisa Spindler studio on Woodward Avenue in downtown Detroit, and we're talking with my dear friend, photographer, artist, and collector, Lisa, but not just her. She brought some friends as well, which is super awesome. So in part two of this series, we're talking with Lisa and photographer and filmmaker Taylor Miller. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. How are we Hi. doing? Good. I'm so excited. I can't. I, I just can't tell you. I'm super <laughs> excited for tell. this one. <laughs> I had an extra cup of coffee for this one, so we're, we're going to get it going. So first, Lisa, I want to thank you again for hosting us. So you've mm-hmm. had an amazing journey here in Detroit. You have this amazing studio that we're sitting in. I want you to tell people just kind of the the special nature of what we're sitting in, what it means to you and where we can find you and your art all around the world. Wow. Well, um, very lucky to be in the old Lane Bryant clothing store here on Woodward. Uh, it was closed down for a number of years and uh, I tried to reinvent it in a different way and it became my studio. And uh, I'm surrounded by all this historical, these historical elements all original here that I just kind of kept and worked my studio around it. So it's just a very unique studio space uh, at this time uh, in my life. And my work, I'm very grateful. I'm getting a lot of Detroit projects right now. I think just being older and building up this archive of what I have and that I've been able to capture Detroit uh, over the, the past couple decades has now been beneficial to me in the body of work that I'm creating. So tell people, what's the difference between a studio and a gallery? Because I, I, in no. the last couple of weeks, I've been like truly educated on the, on the difference. Yeah. Corrected is probably a better word. So why is this okay. so, this is personal so to you. studio is where an artist works. They want to work on their work. A uh, studio is where they surround themselves with all the elements of the tools that they work with. And I, even though I have studio, you know, on the window and people know that this is my studio, it is closed to the public because I'm working. And I'm usually working in the back room in the archive room. However, um, a gallery obviously is usually open to the public or by appointment. And people go to a gallery to purchase work. And um, they have shows usually every month or so. And so this is not a gallery, although it looks like a gallery in the way I've displayed my artwork. And I'm finding that people confuse it. They think it's a gallery. They want to know why it's not open. And this is just a temporary place where I am right now uh, for my studio. And it's incredible. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you. First of all, thank you. Cause you brought a special guest with us today who I'm like really excited to learn more about. Mm. So I want to welcome Taylor Miller. So super cool. Hi. You're a world traveling producer. <laughs> you're a cinematographer, you're a writer and director. So welcome back to Detroit. Thank you so much. And tell me how the two of you met, because I think the story is pretty cool. So I want to hear the, the journey between you two. Well, I get a text from my brother. He works at Ford. He had recently moved downtown in Corktown. He said, hey, buddy of mine at work here has a sister. I think you should meet her. She's in town filming a documentary series. And uh, would it be okay to pass your name along to her? And I was very hesitant at first. I've never, <laughs> I've never, first of all, met a, a director that was mo- working on anything, although there's many that are working on things here. And when I met Taylor, one of the first things she says, it's okay if we um, interview you and film you, right? And I've never agreed to have anybody do that, really. And immediately after I met her, I, I said, yes, of course, because she is amazing. 
And that's how I met, through my brother in a connection that was um, not expected, kind of threw me off one day. Love it. So Taylor, could tell, tell us who you are. Where are you from? Oh, my name is Taylor Miller. I'm uh, originally from Kentucky. And, uh, you know, my dad's from, grew up in West Virginia. My mom's from Kentucky. And uh, just recently moved to Miami, but basically spent the better part of 10 or 11 years in Los Angeles. So I'm kind of in a new, a new space, uh, in, in South, South Miami, but I mean, in South Florida, but, uh, I love it. You know, it's, it's great. And the change is great. And, um, yeah, you know, I, Detroit, Detroit has really been, um, a strange blessing, you know, to me, uh, in a lot of ways and it's unusual and it's magnificent and it's misunderstood. And as someone that I've spent a lot of my time uh, studying documentary work and kind of dedicating my life and my time to storytelling and, and, and what makes people tick and how things change and, you know, how, how habits shift and move. And for me, when, when I got the call from, uh, from Mike Lambert, who uh, is the executive producer to, to come here and to be a part of this project. Um, you know, I immediately said yes. Uh, but I didn't know, I, you know, I didn't know sort of how, so how Detroit would, would, would affect me. So let's just tell people just like, what's your background? Are you, you're a filmmaker, yeah, you're an artist, like yeah, what are so, all the disciplines you touch? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a photographer, I'm a documentarian, I'm a writer. Um, you know, I was raised in Kentucky and, uh, you know, there was just a huge focus growing up on storytelling um, from my grandparents uh, that lived in Richmond, Kentucky, and and even my dad. Um, now he's uh, he's writing a novel, and you know, and it just both my parents are just very uh, they're just storytellers, you know. And so my background, I always like to say, you know, first and foremost, it's it's in the story. Um, so I was raised in Kentucky. Um, I went to high school in uh, in New Jersey. And then I um, spent a year in Switzerland, and that's where I really got interested in creative writing and photography. Then I went to the University of Redlands, and I joined the Johnston Center for Integrative Studies, where I had the opportunity to create my own curriculum. And I created my curriculum as creative writing and documentary work. So let's start at the beginning, because I, I love when people tell me like the birthplace of their creativity. And, and your story is really interesting because you were like a kid and you were making movies, which is not normal yeah, for like yeah, most kids to be right, like, I want to yeah, make a movie. So right, right, right. Yeah. Where yeah. did that come so from? So I have no idea. You know, I don't know. My brother and I, we, uh, I mean, I must have been like six or something. He's four years older, so he'd have been 10. But we had this like movie company and it was called like Magic Movies and and so we would, you know, he would direct some scenes and I would direct some scenes and we would bicker and then we'd like play WWF and which I don't even, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it just, uh, and then we get back to it, you know, but we had this old VHS, you know, and it was like, you're in the shot, you know, the frame's not right. So I have no idea. You know what I mean? I don't know what that is. And you and your brother both shared this passion. Yes. Yeah, for- share this passion, you know, but then I think he, he went on and he's got, you know, he's got like, uh. He, he's not, he's not in the film business, you know, but he, he's definitely got a creative, incredibly creative soul. And, um, but yeah, so the birthplace, you know, honestly, I think the birthplace of it was with my grandparents and hearing my grandfather talk a lot, a lot about, um, 
the things that he had experienced in Kentucky and overseas being in the war. It's so cool. So Liz, I kind of want to switch to you because I'm curious, like, how does that compare to how you got started? Like, you know, you mentioned kind of, you know, your, your beginning in photography. Do you find that artists have like a similar path and journey or did yours come later or did you start as a child? I mean, where, where did your journey start? So I, I think everybody's different, but there's some common thread with artists. Um, you know, I was, there's no artists in any of, our family, any generations of our family, um, either side. Uh, I just knew that I looked at things differently growing up and was very sensitive. But again, it wasn't until I had a third grade elementary teacher who used to wear a special pin. She would wear a sterling silver pin on her dress every, every day. And later I learned after doing research that her husband was one of the greatest metalsmiths, uh, and the Smithsonian interviewed him. Uh, his name's Earl Krenson, and he became, he was in the 50s and 60s, a very famous um, jeweler, and created these beautiful surreal, which they were always whimsical, but very strange pins she would wear. And I became fascinated with the pins, and of course I fell in love with the teacher, and um fell in love with uh, art at that time. Again, I feel like education and exposing children to the arts, had I not had that teacher, I don't know if I would have become the artist I am. Yeah, I think so, it's kind of kind of cool. Like a pin sets off your whole creative journey. Yeah, and your, it, your grandparents it, it, were the ones who were so interested in storytelling. So I think it's kind of interesting how some, artists There was some inspiration that brought thread, it yeah. out or you, that you remember a memory. And For that's sure. my first memory, I think, of, of, of art. But I always love to draw. But this was the first time I really like fell in love. She brought it out. I love me. that. So Taylor, you you uh, take your journey as a kid and you start getting more formal education. You decide to get on a plane and go study in Switzerland. So what is that like? You're going <laughs> to a whole other country and you're trying to expand your you know kind of educational I did. background. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's um, right. So I graduated from the University of Redlands, um, and then the next day uh, at 9 a.m. got on a flight from L.A. to Zurich the day after I graduated from undergrad. So um, it's, it's, it's just silly. That's just totally uh, cool. insane. Um, and I, I, you know, landed in Switzerland and got to this small town and, you know, sauce face Switzerland, it just lightning strikes. And I'm just completely overtaken by this downpour. And there's like cows everywhere. And there's, there, you know, there's, there's just, was this like your oh shit moment? Um, it was, yeah, it was a bit of that. And then it was kind of like, just surrender to it, you know, like this embrace is a, the cows. embrace the cows, embrace this, this whole thing. Because, uh, I, you know, the European graduate school is, uh, well, it's incredible, you know, and I had opportunities there to study with people that I had looked up to and admired, um, and, you know, that was really sort of a, that was a curve there because, um, I got the chance to be a part of a melting pot that I think has really stayed with me, uh, to today. You know, there's, there's people that I was able to study with. I, I, I got the chance to, to work with Jean Baudrillard, um, which was a, just a very big, uh, big deal to me because I had found out about him in college and then. I got the chance to work with him and he passed a year later. And, um, but that, that actually had a huge impact on my questioning the documentary world and how do we, how do we go towards what is real? Right. Because his whole thing was simulacra and, 
you know, the, the hyper real and all this stuff. But the people that I was exposed to, uh, Agnes Varda, uh, Claire Denis, Peter Greenaway, Adam McGoyan, ah, uh, just, just some incredible thinkers, you know, that Manuel Delanda, the, these people that are thinking so far outside, you know, it's, it's like, People say, yeah, you know, don't, don't think outside the box. It's like, forget the box, you know, <laughs> like, I don't even know what that is. Like just, and I they, used to always joke, like, I want to be outside the box that the box came in. Yeah. Right. Hey, I don't know what that well, is. That's very that's MC Escher of you, yeah. you know? Yeah. I want to be outside the box that the box actually came in. Yeah. Yeah. But right? I, but I met some of, I, you know, I, I met some people there that are some of the most profound thinkers I've ever met. And, and so I assume that made you grow as an oh, artistic person, so right? So much. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I'll never forget. I was sitting down. I was having coffee with Claire Denis, who before EGS, I had heard of her, but I didn't really know anything about French cinema. And, you know, that's so like, you know, like people say that in, in college and stuff. And then you're already like intimidated because you're like, I don't know French cinema, like what, you know, and they're like, well, Godard. And they're using all these words. And you're like, I, I've got nothing. You lost you know? me, Godard. You're like, yeah, yeah. Like, I just want to talk about stand by me and how wonderful it is. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I, I can't really meet you anywhere else. And so. I asked her, I said, listen, um, I just want to ask you if you could tell me like, what's, which is, it's such a naive kind of great question, but I was like, what is the most important thing I need to know as a filmmaker, as a writer, as a documentary? And I was super dramatic about it. She's like, you know, what you must know is that uh, there's nothing more important than doubt. And I was like, then doubt. That's deep. <laughs> and she was deep. like, you need to doubt yourself, you know? And oh, I was just like, wow. wow. That was like mic drop. No, it was the mic drop, the, the, the roof oh. fell in, the house started to flood. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I was standing there just like, and then she put on her beanie because it was cold, even in the winter, in the summer in, in Switzerland, it's cold, you know? And she just got up and walked out. I love that. And it was, it was great. I love that. So I got to get a beanie. Yeah. Basically is what you're saying. Yeah. And I need to like my mic drop moment. Yeah. Like I need you to say something really profound by the time we finish I'm, here. I'm, I got about 13, 14 more minutes to come up with something All really right, profound can, where I can on, mic drop Come here. on, Lou. Right, you can so do it. I'm really curious because I was reading about your bio, which is incredibly impressive. And you talk about, you know, telling stories through your work. So I'm your average, you know, movie watcher. I love, you know, a good flick here and there, but I don't really, I, I want to hear from you what that means to tell stories through your work. You know, I've always sort of... Uh, you know, our team, uh, through, uh, Harbor Heights entertainment, you know, that that's created this whole opportunity for, for me to even be here sitting here next to Lisa, um, to do this docuseries. Uh, we always kind of talk about it and I, I'm always questioning when we go to it, like, well, is that real? Is that really what happened? And so I think for me, the complexity of storytelling really is, um, it's irony is that it goes back to something so simple, which is that I hear you and that I'm listening to you. And the best way that I know to convey that is to, without the camera, it's forming that relationship and to really let someone know that, look, if I meet someone and they're incredible and I want to know more about their story, that's great if, if they'll let me photograph them or document it in whatever way. But if not, that's fine. You know, it, it's like, um, but for the average, you know, person, it's like, okay, what is storytelling? I think that it's, it's being able to be taken on a journey and, uh, through an experience where you can authentically find yourself. So Lisa, what inspired you about her work? I mean, like, why, why is she the one that you were like, I got to get her in the chair and do this with me? Because 
magical moments would happen that she would capture. And I honestly feel like, I don't know how to explain this. Uh, one, one example would be like when we did the Aretha Franklin window display here, she didn't come really. She was here filming something with Aretha's funeral, I believe. But as she left, you know, no one had really come up to the window. It was very cold. I remember it was just kind of a bitter night. And all of a sudden this group of people came surrounding the window. They were older. And I don't know if they were senior citizens from somewhere, but here they are gathered around the window talking about how great Aretha was. And she came out and just started talking to them and captured this beautiful moment. Or she would share with me, uh, because I'm a photographer, she knew I'd appreciate it. These photographs or catching a moment during their filming of like the most unusual juxtaposition of things that would happen, like, like divine, you know, I don't know how to explain it, grace that would come down during her filming. She just was able to be in the moment and capture and see things that most people probably, I don't think would ever be, it had to be her. So anyways, I knew that that was very rare and exciting. And, um, I just felt that I wanted as many people to know about her and the project that she's working on because it's um, she's been capturing Detroit at a time that's very important. And we're going to talk about it in just a minute because I think it's, it is a really cool project that I want to get to. But I want to just talk about short film work in general because it's, it's a really interesting discipline. I mean, I think most people know long form you know, cinema, but short films kind of has a special place in your heart and you've traveled all around the world doing really cool work. So what is it about that medium that you really like? Like, why not do a two-hour movie? You know, listen, I think that it's it's really, really difficult um, to try to say whatever it is that you want to say in a short amount of time. I think that that's so incredibly difficult. And, you know, I've worked, I, I was, uh, for, for since 2010, I was uh, one of the co-captains of the Slamdance Film Festival for the narrative shorts. And so, you know, we... We programmed thousands of, you know, I mean, we watched thousands of films and then we had to choose which ones to program. And, you know, short films to me, it's, uh, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, you know? I mean, I've, I've seen films that there's this one film, uh, called bird and it ended up winning everything at slam dance the year that it came out. But, you know, it's like 38 minutes or something from Russia. I mean, you know, and usually people are like, listen, you know, you, you can't have a a short film over like 12 to 15 minutes because otherwise it needs to be a feature, you know? And then this guy comes in and he makes this film about this bird from Russia. And I mean, we were just, we were silenced. It was, it was flawless and it was 39 minutes. So, you know, you get a lot of criticism from people, you know, when you're programming for a festival like Slamdance, but for me, I noticed that, you know, I've seen films that are two minutes and they say more in that two minutes than a feature has. And that is just like, I, it, it, it's mind blowing. That's know? really powerful. I, I think my wife says that to me all the time that I should get more accomplished in less words. <laughs> so maybe I should take your advice and get down with the short, short yeah. film uh, mantra. Right. Yeah. yeah no, maybe. but I'm, I'm, I'm de- definitely down with short films. That's awesome. So I'm curious because one of your first major projects was a short film. It was this mm-hmm. debris, which got a major accolade. I mean, it was featured in you know the New York International Film Festival, right? Right. So you're right. 24 years old. You create this film. Right. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, it was yeah. my first sort of real transition from still photos to the moving image. And so I had my, you know, at that point, I had my new, my new 
MacBook or, you know, whatever it was. And I had the, you know, just the, 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 my editing was like iMovie, you know what I mean? It was just like, whatever. And I'm like, let's do this. And, uh, it was centered around a, a four-year-old boy who, uh, at that time lived upstairs, um, from where my wife and I lived in California and he was celebrating his fourth birthday and we were waiting for his friends and things to show up. And his mom said, can you, can you film his, his birthday party for me? And I did that. And, um, there was something sort of strange about the whole thing because I realized that I was becoming this gatekeeper for his memory, right? Like I I was, I was documenting his, his birthday. And so even like a month later and then two months later and three months later, we would ask him, you know, do you remember your, you know, he's like, no, what are you talking about? So I got super into childhood memory and how children are so present and it kind of their memory dissipates. And at the same time, one of my relatives um, had struggled with actually one of the longest uh, cases of Alzheimer's in, in US, in the United States. Um, she had it for uh, almost two decades. Wow. And this was at the same time. It overlapped with this. So basically debris was an homage to Alzheimer's, but it was also kind of told through this uh, structure of almost childhood uh, memory and childhood Alzheimer's, if you could, in the way that it keeps them perpetually present. And that maybe there is something great about, you know, the necessary loss of memory. And I think that's what's so fascinating. Like when I, I'm not artistic. So when I meet people and they're like, how did you come up with connecting those dots? Right. I mean, that's like the magic, right? Right. Right. When you see the final product, it makes sense, but someone has to have the creative, you know, wherewithal to go, I see something that's magical. Right, and I right. think that's just so cool that you were able to do but when that. When I got accepted, I got, the, I got the email when I was actually in Switzerland and I thought they'd made a mistake. Wrong address. Yeah. No, cause I was totally like, wait, wait, it, they liked it. Like I was totally like, wait, what? And then. Is that like an artist thing? I don't, I don't. Do most artists I'm feel just, that way? Like, I can't believe they like it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, I mean, I'm harder on myself than anyone else's. So and it was also some of my first kind of dive into film, you know, making a film or whatever. So I was just like, wow. And then, and then when it, when I, you know, when I, when I got in and when I, you know, did that, I was, uh, it was just, you know, just, just to have that platform to sort of share my thoughts and my ideas about a subject was really an honor. And having that kind of success at 24, I mean, Lisa, I mean, you've been around, you know, doing amazing things all over the city. Like, did you have that level of kind of success at that age? Is that, no. is that rare? No, I didn't. Except in high school, I, you know, won some awards for photography with Kodak. I think it was had some, you know, uh, high school awards. But um, no, it wasn't until probably late 20s, early 30s, I won something. And I'll never forget, too, you know, lived in Detroit, Palmer Park at a time that was very poor. And I photographed my apartment for Metropolitan Home for the home of the year. And I photographed the apartment so well and entered it. And I'll never forget FedExing the um, entry. And I won the home of the year in a certain category. And I could not believe it. it's that kind of moment where you're like, what? I, I'll never forget getting that letter. It was a letter and not the internet, you know, at the time. So it gave me such confidence at that time. That was very important. So cool. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Berlin. 
He is a four-year-old. He is your son and he's oh. <laughs> adorable and he's in the studio right now. So if you hear really cool chuckling in the background and it's yeah. totally cool, it's like totally EXP that he's here. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. Okay. So big shout out yeah. to Thank your four-year-old you. little Thank man you. for that. Yeah. who made the journey. Thank right? you. He came to Detroit. He did right. make the he journey. He made the journey yeah. from, from Miami. So big yeah. shout outs to Berlin. Thank you, Lou. All That's right. very no, sweet. No Thank worries. Um, so now you got this project coming up, up about Detroit, right? You're doing a film. Yes. Short, t- tell us about that. because I. Okay. So executive producer and very dear friend of mine, uh, Mike Lambert and uh, Jerome Scott are co-directing this, okay? And so this all kind of came about almost two years ago. Uh, Mike called me and Jerome called me and they said, listen, we just took a trip to Detroit. Mike grew up outside of Detroit. He's like, I hadn't been there in a while. I went back to visit family. There's something going on there that I cannot put my finger on, but I think it's I think it's really special. And I think we need to get our act together and get up there with the crew and start filming and see what's going on. And what year was that? Uh, that was October, 2017. And there wasn't like a plan. There was just start filming. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they, they came up here to kind of come and look at it and see, you know, that uh, Mike brought uh, Michelle, which is uh, one of our producers and, Jerome came up and they looked at it, you know, to see what and they were. They were all like, yeah, we're on board. So like, OK, so now now let's call the uh, for this project. Let's call the cinematographer. So so funny. I was in Walgreens picking up a prescription, you know, uh, and I'm there and I get the phone call and they say, yeah, so we're going to we're going to film Detroit for a year. And then the phone call dropped and I'm like wait for how long wait what am I doing my wife at that time was like yeah like like seven months pregnant with our with our uh our baby girl and I'm like um and then it clicked off so I call back and I'm like hey like you said Detroit Detroit right right? Right. no 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 no, no, no. I've always been listen I've always been jazzed about Detroit but I was like listen uh I don't know if this is something I need to like spell out but I for sure can't go anywhere for a year uh you know, I'm just not in that. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, like we'll go like every two months for like a week. Okay. So then, yeah. So, so the whole thing, <laughs> so like, all right, I'm back on board. I'm like, okay, right, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. When do we go? Yeah. Um, so we, we've done that. We've got almost, I think I heard Mike and Jerome say last week, we have almost 400 hours of footage. So what are you filming? Like you, you just show up and just what inspires no, no, you? No, no, no. We, we, um, so one example is this wonderful man named Toby Barlow, uh, who, uh, Dave Spindler, Lisa's brother and Lisa, uh, got me in contact with, and he gave me, he sat down with me and he's like, look, here's the deal. You want to do Detroit. I'm going to give you a list of people, you know, cause we, and we had been working for like eight or nine months prior to that, maybe even longer. So we had had a lot of amazing interviews but we, you know, we, we wanted to focus on some artists. We want to focus on music, you know, that type of thing. And, um, Toby's like, all right, here, here's a list, you know? And, and it's just, what's crazy is Can that. Can you share? Yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like one of, one of the people that was on that list, I, her name is Marsha music and she's an absolute revelation. When I met her, the experience of meeting her is such an honest experience because she has such a vast knowledge, not only of the city of Detroit, but 
of storytelling. And she told us the story about, you know, her, her, her dad was the, the first person to record Aretha Franklin's voice when she was seven years old at New Bethel. And, you know, the store that, that her father, you know, ran the record shop. And so, you know, I'll never forget. She's talking. I said, well, what, where is it? She said, there's a highway, there's a highway that's running through it. And I, you know, it's like my naivete and everything. It's like, you hear that metaphorically so much. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, I know. But like, what happened to it? She's like, girl, there is a highway running (laughs) through it, you know? And I, so the ways in which she has, uh, taught all of us about Detroit and the obsession with people's misconception about this city was really powerful to talk through. And so she's someone that is part of our documentary, but, but that's sort of how it worked. You know, we, we, we got in touch with a few people. They said, you know what, you should go over here. You should interview passion. She's with uh, Detroit dirt, you know, talk with passion that, you know, you should go. So it became this thing that now when we actually, you know, we, on this huge, you know, uh, wall, we, we put up all the names and the people and they're all connected. Small town. Yeah, it is a small town, but it's part of that thing that Detroit has. It's that resilience and that can, that connectivity. So what's the plan for the project? I mean, when you're done and you've talked to all these amazing people, like, what are you going to do with it? I was going to ask you, Lou, you don't, you don't have an idea. You well, have I have tons of ideas. <laughs> I am so, Lou Hooligan. If you weren't I mean, listening right. to the first episode, I mean, if you weren't paying attention, yeah, uh, I have a lot of ideas, but, but I'm sure you probably have a better one. <laughs> so our plan right now, we are, um, you know, we did a photography lock, which basically we're, we're, as of now we're done, you know, interviewing and filming and everything. We, we finished, um, at the end of the summer so now what we're doing is we are editing uh, a pilot episode to pitch to networks. So, and we have some connections that, you know. So you envision it maybe being a series. Yeah. So it is, a, it's, yes. Yeah. Because the, the, the amount of footage that we have and the intersection of stories, I feel like we as a team def- decided that it would, it would benefit us better and just the city of Detroit if it was given a, you know, a longer sort of time span. That's awesome. So what we're, what we're kind of feeling is six to eight episodes, you know, feels like a Netflix original to me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, I would, you know, that, that would be wonderful. I mean, Netflix, Amazon, HBO would, you know, that would just be, well, if any of them are listening right that's now, right. you know, that's right. Yeah. This is, this is the spot. This is yeah, what this you want. Spot. That's right. So I want to switch gears just for a minute because both of you are, are world travelers. So you guys have, you know, been around the world, your work's been showcased around the world. Like, what do you find when you're in other cities that you wish Detroit had or what you see in Detroit that you experienced elsewhere? Like, have you found like a common thread where you're like, that's really Detroit? Like you mentioned you were in a, you know, where did you studied abroad? Like, did you were like the parts of this remind me of Detroit? Parts of um, Berlin when I was there, when the wall came down, didn't know that was going to happen. I actually got pieces of the wall and the children that were there that day. Um, but when I was in Berlin, I felt like it reminded me of Detroit. That was back in the eighties. Um, 
there, I don't know, just walking the streets there and, and different parts of the city reminded me of Detroit. Um, but nothing really, nothing really compares to Detroit. You know, it's hard to, to answer that. Well, what do you think could, Detroit could do better? I mean, like we're, we're just getting started on this journey. Like what would be an easy place to start? What could we do better? Schools. Schools. That's a good one. Yeah. Major. For sure. I mean, I can't imagine growing up. I'm friends with a, a little boy that I met when he was 12 years old, wasn't in school. His name was Dennis. And uh, it's kind of a hard story, but long story short, every, um, I became friends with Dennis and he grew up on the east side, very difficult area, and never had an opportunity really to get out of that situation. And I asked him one day when he was about 13, what, what was the scariest thing you, you've seen or dealt with? And, and he said a dead body on the way to school, you know, came across one in an alley. And it's like, I just couldn't imagine that picture of my children going through that. But anyways, back to Detroit, it's like, um, you know, this inner city part here, the city downtown area is amazing and everything that's happening. But really when you go outside, maybe half a mile to a mile out, it's, it's the same. In some ways it's worse in some areas and it deeply disturbs me um, to see that, um, that not a lot has changed for a lot of people. Yeah. And Taylor, I assume that that's coming out in your work, I assume. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think about your question also, and I, it, it might sound very strange, but when I, I had the opportunity to, to go to India and um, work on a project uh, with uh, director Nick Gallia and when I was there, um, there was this moment where we were filming for his film that, that's coming out uh, this year called Pink City, and we were filming uh, in Varanasi, and there's the the funeral pyres, and it's where they go um, to to burn the bodies. And there was this moment where I was there with my camera, and there was a man, and he looked at me, and he he put his hands together like a like he was praying and he looked right at me and he put his hand on his chest and he just looked to the right. And in that moment, without us speaking, he told me that, you know, the body that was going by that belonged to him. And there was a connection there without, without words. Right. And so, it's it's very strange, but there's something about Detroit and its pride and its resilience. You know, when I was in India, the people in India are so anchored in their faith and in their experiences. You know, I, I met plenty of people and they, they literally had one bowl and one cup. And, and it was their bowl and it was their cup. And like that Raymond Carver poem, you know, they loved it. You know, it was, it was simple and it was small, but it was theirs. And they were happy. They, they were, there was a happiness that was so unusual and wonderful to witness. And like Lisa said, I, I don't think there's anywhere that compares to Detroit. In fact, if anything, I think, you know, other places remind me of Detroit, you know, that pride and that resilience that I saw in India really stayed with me. And then when we got here, obviously it's not like India. That's not what I mean. But when I started meeting people and hearing their stories, 
there's a strength in the stories from the people of Detroit that it's like, it's, it's, it's staggering, you know, and it's complex and it's misunderstood and it's messy. It's completely messy. And there's something so strange because people can't figure out Detroit, right? It's almost this strange compass that they've got to try to figure that out. And then maybe they can figure out other parts of America, but it's such a, from gentrification to, uh, just the, just the cultural, um, strangeness that happens when one part goes up and another goes down and then you're standing there and you don't know where you fit because you're there, you know, you're here visiting and there's people that you know and you care about and they're, um, they're from here, but it, it, it never ceases to, you know, it's, it's never just totally made sense. So it's a, it's a perfect segue. And I kind of want to kind of sum it up with this. I and mean, if you were going to sell them to Detroit to other people, right. I and mean, you're kind of doing that through your work with right. kind of exposing what it is, but what would be your elevator pitch? I mean, what would you tell people who are listening, who might not be from here or people you meet and say, this is what Detroit's really about. Like, how would you sell it? Both of you. For me, um, I would say that the city's going through such a, a rebirth, um, rebuilding that it's like, an incredible time that we'll never quite experience again, which is what I was trying to capture in some of my photos, even though I didn't know that was really happening. I, I knew something was happening. So it's like, it's just an exciting time where a lot of things are happening and it's beautiful and it's beautiful in many ways um, that it's exciting. Uh, so it's like, and it's, and it feels, uh, and the people here are so much more beautiful than maybe they've heard or read about in the city and the way the people live here. I, I had a, a family from California visit for the first time and they're like, this is so incredible. We can't wait to go back home and tell people to come. And I said, well, just remember you're coming at a really great time. I don't think you would have said that five years ago if you came to visit. So I think that they just, they just wonder why, why it's had such a bad rap, but you know, it's, this is the time right now that it's become really accepted and, and, and celebrated. So, so get on a plane. So they come now because it's a rare time to see a city, you know, go through such changes. And like she said, there's just so many different elements about it. It's complex, it's complex, but it's incredible at the same time. So Taylor, what, what's your pitch? You know, I think it's just, yeah, you, you just got to come oh, here. You yeah. just got to, you just got to, you just got to get your ass here, you know? And it's, it's so, it's so funny because people try to be like, oh, you're going to Detroit. You're filming that thing in Detroit. You know, you need to be really careful. And like, it, it, it's really, it's really strange, but then you have other people and, and it, it's like there sometimes when you're talking, there ends up being this divide and you think you're talking about the same thing, kind of championing Detroit, but then the, at the end of it, they're like, yeah, well, that's what I thought. Cause, and you're like, well, no, 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 no. We were never talking about the same thing, you know? So it's like, I think it's important. It's like, just get on a plane, come here and then share what you see and you know, what your understanding is of what's happening. And I think that's kind of why we're doing this podcast. It's like, the yeah, perfect, it's the perfect reason absolutely. because it's, I want to be talking to Detroit change makers and have more people go, Oh my God, look at all the cool things that are happening in the city. And that's why we're doing this, which is why it's so much fun for me to meet such incredible people like you guys. All right. Thank so here, this you. is it. This is the okay. best part okay. of the podcast. Uh, my favorite part, the lightning round. All right, here we go. Okay. First question. My favorite project you have ever done. A favorite project. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the time. My, one of my best friends, Farley took me to 
the Dominican Republic, like a hundred miles off the Dominican Republic to document, um, whales. Cool. And that was completely, uh, a game changer. I like that. Yeah. Lisa, back to you. You got one? Um, one of your favorites. Okay. One of my favorites is when, uh, David DeMuth, who owns Donor, which is a agency, um, was in the need for a complete renovation of their lobby of their building and many floors and said, you know, um, I, I love your work so much that I just want you to come up with some amazing group and series of imagery for our new building and, uh, renovation. And he believed in me enough to give me that trust. And it was one of the biggest projects I had. Thanks. All right. Favorite movie to watch. I don't watch many movies anymore because I don't have time, but I always liked The English Patient. I could watch that All right. over and over. All right, so this is gonna this is gonna be so schizophrenic that you're gonna be like, "Are you okay?" Okay, that's first, what makes her good podcast. Okay, good. Yeah, I know that's what you're going for. Okay, so I'm gonna go Deer Hunter, which mm, I know it's like, wow. "What is wrong wow. with you? Why would you say that?" I think it is. Um, it's one of the most incredible uh, comments on trauma. And I think trauma in our society and in our culture, um, I'm a big animal lover. So the deer hunter and all that, but I think it's like, I'm saying it's more of a commentary on just sort of the juxtaposition of healing and trauma and the way that we sort of have the ability to heal or self-sabotage ourselves as a nation and internally as ourselves on a flip note and a much lighter note. I will say that my favorite movie is Fletch. Wow. Talk about total That's what I'm saying. reversal. Yeah. I, Cause you, you Your have to. Your mind is deep. Yeah. As, see, as you see how that happens? Yeah. Left yeah. side, we got deer yeah. hunter. Right I could have been like, oh, Fellini, just Fellini, but no, Fletch. Fletch. Steak sandwich and steak sandwich. All right. What about for a meal? Flowers of Vietnam. Ooh, good, good, good wings. Mm-hmm. Good chicken wings. Love mm-hmm. that place. Flowers of Vietnam. So you're, you're a transplant. So you visit, what, what are your favorite places to go when you come into town? So is it Peterborough? Yeah. It's so good there. I like that. And they have mocktails. Which are just great. Love that. Good to answer. Drink. All right. Your most memorable artistic moment in Detroit. So we were filming over at Tiny Homes and we had been, inter- we had, uh, had interviewed Reverend Faith Fowler and we had just asked her uh, if she had any documents or photos that could show us what the, those acres, what they looked like um, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And she said, yeah, you know what? I'll put you in contact with my archivist. And okay, so it's freezing cold and everybody gets back in the car and I'm, I'm breaking my equipment down and, uh, I'm on the, I'm on the street there and this woman pulls up and she said, excuse me. Uh, and I, I, I leaned over and I'm still rolling. I'm so I'm still recording. And, uh, I said, what is it? And she said, um, I just wanted to share something with you. And this is so Detroit, you know, that you can't explain, but when you experience it, you know that it's real so she said, I have to just tell you something. I used to live on this street and I, my house was right over there. And when I was a kid, we used to play basketball into a milk crate and they were the best years of my life. And that house has been torn down and everything's gone. But I drive by here every year on my birthday just pretty, to remember it and make me feel alive. That's pretty powerful. And I said, yeah. happy birthday. And she said, it's my birthday. And the that that was that's really stayed with myself and and our team. We talk a lot about that moment. That's awesome. Can't make that kind of stuff up. That's no, just amazing. No, that was yeah. 
Okay. So right, we'll pass. We'll pass unless you have one. I have one. Okay, good. I got one. So another memorable experience I'll never forget was in the 80s. Uh, WB Donor, different, different time, but that agency asked me to do a campaign to bring awareness to the homeless. However, at that time, it was so dangerous in Detroit that they didn't send any art director or creative director to accompany me in the cast. It had to be the cast corridor area. And at that time, cast corridor was filled with um, a combination of prostitution, homeless people, um, just a, a drug dealing a lot. And um, I had to find different people for that campaign very specific. It had to be like a single mom with children who's homeless. Well, that's not easy to find, but I remember when you really look for it, it, it's out there, but it's hard to find where they are. I remember having to pay people to lead me to a building where I literally risked my life to be in and was uh, very frightened and have these pictures now looking back of a whole campaign of these people that I captured on my own. It won, it did win 10 Addy or Caddy Awards that year. But the interesting part is that nobody accompanied me when I was young and doing that campaign. And that was just a very, I was very proud of the work that it won so many awards, but also risking my life many times when I was shooting. But I still have the pictures in there. It's only a few blocks from here. And now you can't probably get an apartment affordable in the Cass Corridor area. I never thought that area would ever change. So cool. It did. So cool. All right. So last question in the lightning round. You could be super talented at any other discipline, anything. So you're a filmmaker, you're a photographer. You could do anything you want in the arts and be super talented at it. What would you do? I'd like to be a singer. Okay. I have a terrible voice. Closet, <laughs> so, closet shower yeah, singer? Yeah. Uh, no, I'd like to be on stage performing. No, I mean, are you a closet shower um, singer no, now? No, I don't sing in the shower. Okay. Nope. But when songs come on, I like to sing and my kids tell me not to. But I, I always thought I'd be a great performer on stage. So I, I'd like to be a singer, a good one. And a band. Okay. Rock band. And I already know yours because you spoiled it earlier. So don't, you can't cop out on me now. No, I'm not going to, I'm definitely not copying out. I was just thinking because every time I think about it, I really just, it's, it, it's so, it's so confusing to me and incredible. So like, I guess I'm not saying I would want to be an opera singer, but I'm more just like, what is going on? Like, how is that coming from their body, from their person? Like that. And like, nobody really talks about it. Like, you're just like, well, that's just what they do. That's an opera singer, right? But when you really are like, you sound like a bird, like right. prettier than a bird, and now you're like using language with it, it's crazy. It's absolutely. So you'd be a bird singing opera extraordinaire. Well, yeah, Lou, that's, that's exactly I love what, it. I dig what it. I'm totally telling cool. you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, there's only a few I mean, do of them you know, out there. I mean, what is that? What is that, that well, vibration I'm a lot of, of like, I mean, between the deer hunter and Fletch, we're learning no, a lot. But it's a, it's See, a, it's I'm at home. A, See, that's, that's perfect. It's otherworldly. It's other, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no, see, look at that. Yeah. See, there's it's no hard language. Ex- to, there's no expla- explanation for it. It's just a phenomenon. Yeah, it's a phenomenon. There you go. It's like the Northern Lights, really. That is the same. perfect way. It's the same thing. To end this podcast. Okay. It's a phenomenon. Thank you for having me. Guys, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed doing this and. So excited to see your work when it eventually comes out. It's incredible. We all can experience it. And Lisa, thank you again for letting us use your studio. You're welcome. Thank you. So for more information on Lisa Spindler and Taylor Miller, check them out at Instagram. Their images are amazing. You can check out Taylor at at their Detroit, T-H-E-I-R-D-E-T-R-O-I-T, and at Lisa Spindler Studio.
Thanks everyone for tuning in to part two of this very special three-part EXP DET podcast series and tune in for part three, which is coming up real soon. Please make sure to write us a review and provide us some comments and feedback. And if you want to check out other amazing people doing really cool things in Detroit, check out expdet.com or you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. <laughs>